Hello, this is Bob Camp, and I'm here today with Kylie Ensrud. Her background is neuroleadership and culture expert. She's with the Culture Acceleration Group in Lincoln, Nebraska. So before we get into questions, where do people find you when they start finding this interesting? Yeah, absolutely. We have our website, which is accelerateculture.com. And we're also on LinkedIn, Facebook. They can definitely locate us there as well. Tell me about how did you get where you are today? Absolutely. Uh, Right out of high school when I started college, I was a training specialist and really loved interacting with with people. So at that point, you know, in, in my young age, I knew I wanted to focus my career in an area where I'd be able to help others, support others. And I was very fortunate to work at some really amazing organizations who built great cultures in atmospheres and environments that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Manufacturing, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, dirty, hot environments that people thrived in and loved. And I unfortunately had worked in some not great organizations as well that really started getting me thinking about how important it is to create workplaces where people are better for being a part of them. And so throughout all of my college, my studies, I really honed in on what can we do to maximize talent and support people's talent and make them better. And then right before I started my doctorate program, I was fortunate enough to work at an outpatient clinic And the doctor there, the owner, medical director, was a psychiatrist, neurologist, specialized in brain science, and had always really been fascinated by that, even as a kid, loved, you know, the science piece of it. And so started doing my own research, diving into it and seeing how the brain impacts how we learn, how we connect with others, and found the opportunity to pursue my doctorate in leadership and was able to focus my research on the cognitive neuro piece of, of leadership and team dynamics. And so that's where it took me. And I loved it and continued to utilize that and really saw an opportunity to help make a difference by, by taking the environmental, the biological, the emotional, social, all of that, and helping organizations do the right thing for folks and really create a better culture. As you said, there's always great examples and there are those examples that you learn from. What do you think separates those great cultures from the others? What what do you see that really makes a difference? Yeah, the when it comes down to it, it is it is human connection. The great cultures don't have everything figured out. They don't have a perfect day every day. And it's not that they don't encounter challenges or conflicts, but what they have is honesty, authenticity, and a genuine caring for one another that makes it safe to be yourself, makes it safe to make mistakes. You're not wondering if you go into a room, if if you can trust what the information is or not. And you really know that they have your best interest at heart. And it's, it sounds so easy. It's not, it's not, well, it sounds simple, not easy to implement, but it really is that basic. They are able to leverage the human component and make those connections meaningful. 
And that's where it becomes difficult because people are hard and people are complex and being able to navigate that is hard. Yeah. How do leaders start that? Or if they've started it, how do they make, how do they make it continue? Yeah, they have to be very intentional. It's not something that's just going to organically happen. The best leaders I ever had, they focused on the relationship first above all else to the point where it's in their calendar to, this is my carve out time. Absolutely do not block over. This is my time to go connect with, with folks and listening, understanding perspectives, having an open mind and being humble enough to set egos aside as a leader and seek out the opinion of others. The, the best leaders exhaust themselves on that relationship component almost. And it, it, it doesn't just happen, but they have to be very intentional about that first. And a lot of times you'll see leaders get excited about driving results or outcomes or new initiatives or, you know, rallying the team and they haven't even built the relationships yet to get the people behind them. And so starting with the person first is where leaders really can can begin that journey of creating sort of that open trusting environment. When you were, you were talking about that, making that connection, being on purpose, uh, it reminds me my first I'll call it real job. I was working in a manufacturing plant and I remember the gentleman, his name was Reed Armstrong and, and he, he would walk through the plant every day. Uh, on his way into his office. And he made sure that he touched base with people often enough and, and he knew our names. And it seemed to permeate to the rest of the management. Not that everybody walked through the plant, but all the people, all the managers in the plant had that same perspective of connecting with people. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you make a change when you walk into a situation and it is not because that gets really hard and sometimes expectations are really high. So what have you seen or, or what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, that's that's a great question because where do you start? Um, and what can you sustainably, sustainably implement that's going to drive behavioral change when a lot of times people don't even realize they need to change? That's where being a disruptor can really be can really be valuable, whether it's an external disruptor or if you have somebody internally that has those relationships and trust, them sort of being the catalyst to say, all right, we're going to have this disruptive conflict. We're going to call it out. We're going to be open and honest about it. It's going to hurt. Um, you know, emotions are going to probably run high and it may, it may make people very uncomfortable. But if you can have an external person come in and say, all right, here's my perspective. Here's what I'm seeing and throw it out on the table. It's really about being candid and not just honest with one another in terms of I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the truth that I'm going to tell you, but, but saying everything that needs to be said. And that's really hard sometimes within a team because there are relational dynamics that can be severed or disrupted when you're expecting somebody within your own team to be that disruptor. So anytime you can get an outside trusted advisor or maybe a mentor or somebody that can be that for you and, and call you out on your team, it is so beneficial because 
without the information and without the root cause and without the true state of how things are, you can't, you're never going to change it. And that's the tricky part because it's not fun to address. A lot of times folks don't know what, don't even realize they don't know what they don't know. And again, this is where it gets interesting with, with sort of the brain science again is it's uncomfortable for us. Our, our, our brains do not like that, that, uh, disruption or new information or new ways of seeing things or that conflict. It's uncomfortable for us, even from a neuro standpoint. And so we have all these forces working against us, but it, the, the first step is really that openness, ready to ex- be candid and committing to your team. You know, if you're on a leadership team, committing to each other that it's a safe space to do this. But we all make mistakes. We all have probably done things that have contributed to maybe a toxic environment, but it stops now. Let's be open, honest. Let's address it. What can we do to move forward and keep taking steps forward? And then accepting the fact that it's not going to be an overnight change, setting the right expectation in terms of this is going to be hard. It's going to take time, but it's going to be the right thing to do. And, and knowing that up front so that when a month goes by and you're not at the end of the, you, you know, you're not running across the goal line, you're not discouraged by that, that any progress is progress. You know, human nature, we don't change overnight. And being able to recognize that is important as well. Sometimes we don't know what to do, whether if we're the leader, we don't know how to, to affect this change. Or if I'm part of the team, and we're so, to your point, we're so used to being quiet. I remember having a conversation with an executive and they were saying, well, my team's, you know, they're all in agreement. Nobody's, nobody's disagreeing with me. Doesn't mean they're in agreement. That just means that you hold a role that either they defer to or they're fearful of or whatever it is. Your position has some authority that they're not comfortable stepping out and saying something. And so, Tell me more about the external. Because I think about the external. It's, there's, I'm sure it's multiple facets, but the first two that come to mind for me are drawing out from people, being able to observe that they're thinking something different than they're saying. And then the other part is how do you coach the leader in the background, you know, how to become better at this? So start with how you help draw that out. Yeah, it's, you know, that external individual, whether it's, again, a mentor, a coach, a, a company, whoever it is that you bring in, it's going to take a little bit of time for them to understand as well. And so giving them a little bit of context, letting them observe some of those dynamics so that they can see. But the great thing about that is if if you're in a meeting or whatnot, they get a, they get to be the bad guy. And if they're skilled at it, they know how to have the leaders answer the questions for themselves. The leaders tip, they're in their roles for a reason. A lot of times they're very talented folks. They just, it has to be pulled out of them. And so, you know, breaking up that conversation, an external person, you know, they're not going to necessarily get in trouble if they say, okay, let's stop this. I can see on your face, you have something to say. Let's, let's make it safe and let's say it. Um, and then debriefing with folks in a safe environment, you know, after a meeting, going to each of these and saying, okay, did you, you know, how do you feel about that? What was your role in this? How could that have gone differently? But that external person keeping it in front of them, helping support them through that 
so they don't lose sight of the reflection piece, the follow-up piece, making sure that there's that real-time feedback as well so that they can actually see, oh, yeah, I reacted that way to that situation, and here's how I could do it differently, rather than two weeks later going, wow, that meeting didn't go so well, and it's, it's you know, done and gone with. But somebody that's there to facilitate the voices in the room, if you will, and be able to, you know, make sure that the power dynamics are such that maybe not in the first meeting, but over time, knowing, knowing the individuals in the room well enough over time to, again, like you said, know if, if they're really saying what they mean to say, or can you look at nonverbals or those dynamics? And so, it's it's it can be very powerful in that regard to sort of spread that the shared leadership throughout. Tell me more about the dynamics of coaching a leader, because as leaders, to your point, everybody gets there because they've been successful doing something. Now they have to maybe step out of what they've been doing before. Maybe they've started the business and, and have built the business. But there's always that element of how do you get better at engaging. And if you're starting from a low spot, meaning you're not really good at it yet, coaching becomes a really important part of that, learning the tools that they don't have. Being a coach, especially to a leader, it's, again, it's helping them discover the right, the right path and making sure that you're facilitating that reflection it's not about giving them the answers or saying, you know, you need, you need to be perfect at this competency and here's your training on it, but helping them take the situations they're in and process those and say, okay, let's look at it. Let's look at this interaction you had. What was great about that? What do you anticipate? What would you do differently? But really facilitating the right questions for them to reflect on. And it's, it's hard to do that on your own. And that's where a coach comes in because they they see our blind spots or they help us recognize areas that maybe we didn't even understand ourselves because we just, we all have blind spots and it's hard to sort of call that out of ourselves. And a coach can really assist in saying, have you thought about this? Let's think about this. Really just facilitating the process of learning and growing and challenging, um, challenging a leader in ways they haven't been. Not, like I said, not training them necessarily on competencies or, you know, while that's that's valuable and beneficial, they have to learn to learn and learn to grow before they can ever leverage that anyway. And so that's where a coach can be really powerful to help hold ourselves accountable almost. And so, a big part of what you were just doing there was it was you were identifying it was about asking questions. It's it's those questions that help somebody else think through the process, think through their decision making, identify where their strengths, where their weaknesses are in what they just did or didn't do. One of the things that what we hope for our, our clients is they take those same skills that we are sharing with them in in our meetings about how we coach them to be able to coach others because it is about establishing rapport, conversation that is meaningful, and being able to look at what's best for the other person, which is also best for you. Ultimately, everybody wins. Everybody wins bigger when it's done together. So I want to dig into the neuroscience and how that really affects 
culture or the ability to change culture or enhance culture? Yeah, it's it's something that is really powerful that when leveraged leveraged correctly can make a significant difference just by understanding how humans are. We have this innate need to connect to others. We are wired, our, our brains, you know, whether it's dopamine, serotonin, you know, when we connect with others and we feel a sense of belonging, all of that starts firing, our motivation, our feel good, all of that. And so knowing that we all need to feel a sense of belonging and connect, that really can start start the foundation for how do you how do you build culture? Well, you probably don't want to start creating silos and excluding people or, you know, creating barriers that shouldn't be there because you're going to start making people feel uncomfortable or start protecting themselves, you know, going into that survival instinct because they don't feel a sense of belonging. And so knowing that every action you take is going to have some sort of effect on, on the teams, the culture is important. And there's some really cool studies out there um, where they did FM, fMRI studies on the brain and it was a simulated video game and people were playing it and they didn't know they were playing each other. They thought they were just playing the computer, whatever they're in different rooms. And slowly people started getting dropped out of that computer game. And what happened when they got dropped out of the computer game their brain, the neurons that trigger physical pain started triggering in their brain. So exclusion being being left out of that game triggered the same receptors as physical pain. And so when you think about a broken heart, it, you, it really is a broken heart because it's the same receptors in the brain. And so that sense of belonging is so, so important. That is one key with, with the brain. The, the other big one for for organizations or cultures, again, goes back to sustainable behavioral change. Change is very hard for people, not only emotionally, but because your brain, it does not want to use cognitive energy. Our brains are extremely efficient. We want to do things without using cognitive energy. And so the easier it is, the less you have to think about it. That's where our brain goes. We take the path of least resistance without even knowing it. So when you think about learning something new or introducing change or new ideas or a new person, your brain has to use a lot of energy to process that. And it does not want to. So it tries to keep reverting back to what it already knows. And that's important anytime, again, change, change specifically. But when you're doing something within an organization, knowing that you're fighting against that and creating that repetition for folks, making sure that they have a chance to experience it and be part of it so that it, over time, your brain, it becomes easier. And so I think those are just, those are just a couple key things that really make an impact into the decisions of, of what goes into building it. Consciously, we can recognize what we want to be doing, but my responsiveness is automatic versus being, you know, positive and joyful. And if that's there, that's one of the reasons why culture is change is so hard it's that habitual thinking that 
for lack of better terms, we don't have control of. It's been, you know, it's been embedded in. And, and so it takes time. And as you said, that's the reason why the external consultants are, are so important is to remind people that we're just reacting and responding and, and just keep going back to how do we create these new, for back of better terms, better roadmaps in our brain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Tell me more about, about language and how choosing your words or choosing to ask questions versus making a statement or telling someone what to do. How does that start building that bridge you were talking about, that relationship between people? Yeah, language is is critical in in everything we do in life. It language helps give meaning. It's words are just words, but the meaning behind them is what really drives people's sense of understanding and their place in the world. And so when you think about a word that's used in an organization or how a leader speaks or whatever it may be, the lingo, there's a meaning behind that, that folks have had, you know, their entire lives and it's going to be different for everybody. But language helps people understand how to navigate their environment. What are the rules of engagement? How do they understand the world? And in this case, their their work, how do they understand their workplace through language? And so selecting, whether it be your core values or asking questions versus directing, whatever that language is, that guides people's behavior. That helps them understand. It creates meaning. And so being very intentional, again, about the words and the language we use is critical in creating creating the untouchable, if you will, culture that people feel that helps them understand the environment that they're in. One of the elements in companies when they're really trying to establish what those core values are and how important that is to really define their culture. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you're right. There's, you see it too many times. It is just on a wall because it's the, it's the thing to do or everybody says you should do it. And, the one that always gets me is, you know, people that say their core values integrity and I love it, but it should just, that should, that should be a given. It shouldn't be a value. If you don't have integrity, why are you working here? And so those sort of things too, that's let's, let's really think about how this drives behavior. And one thing to always look at when you're establishing core values is are your leaders aligned with this? And do they walk the talk every single day? Do they display this value every single day? Because it doesn't matter what you put on that wall or what you come up with. If your leaders don't live by that authentically every day, it does not matter because they're the example. And so just because it sounds good, you can have one leader that, you know, has zero integrity or, you know, if openness, for example, is one of your core values, but yet they create barriers to communication. It it doesn't matter what you have on the wall. They just become it just becomes, again, a marketing thing. And so when you're when you're looking at core values, I, I think it's a combination of what do you aspire to, obviously, but what's there? What what are the what are the great things that your best performers, that your most valuable people, that those are extreme, you know, that, that make a difference in your customers, clients, coworkers' lives? What do they display? What kind of behaviors are they exuding? And pull from those organically, because again, it's hard to make people change. And it's hard to say, well, these are core values. Now you have to behave this way. If it's not already there in some way, it doesn't matter because it's there. It's not 
organically grown. And so always, always take a peek at what is happening that is amazing here, that is making somebody really successful, that is going to drive this. And then number two, you know, are our leaders adhering to that and define your values that way. It doesn't mean they have to be the same for eternity. Maybe you, maybe you aspire to something greater and as an organization, you get there and then you have new values because that's what you're living organically. But making sure that there's some component of it that is that is genuine. Otherwise, it's just, again, words on a wall. So your point is about is starting with what is already great and then reinforcing it by catching people, living those values and acknowledging those values. So with the things that you've been doing out there, what are the things that you're seeing that whenever someone goes down this path, these are the challenges they have, but here's how they're getting past it. Any thoughts on that? There are, again, simple, not easy things. In my experience, especially, especially now, folks want meaning in their work. And it's very important that they know that they make a difference and that doesn't mean for every single person that, you know, they they invent something that's going to change the world or they cure cancer or, you know, that they're even the, the doctor at a clinic if they if they work at a clinic. But the, but everybody from, you know, a, a front desk individual that's greeting folks to the CEO, they their work is important to them and they need to know that it matters. And so anytime you can reinforce that for folks is extremely important. The other thing is don't be afraid to have the hard conversations. So many people create toxic cultures because they sweep stuff under the rug because they don't want to hurt feelings or they make assumptions instead of just sitting down and talking. You know, they're assuming, well, that person did this and they meant this. And have you talked to them? And then they say, no, well, you're festering all of this for no reason. Just have the conversations, have the critical conversations. You will build trust that way with folks. And it's difficult sometimes, but you owe it. We owe it to one another to to care enough to have the hard conversations. And that gets especially leaders in a lot of trouble is when they don't address things head on because maybe they don't think it's a big deal or it's 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 hard. And so they sweep it under the rug and then it just snowballs and it can really have a toxic effect on an organization when you start avoiding conversations with one another. And so those two things are critically important. So how would you coach a leader? Because we've all been through this. How would you coach a leader who's struggling to have that conversation? A great mentor of mine years and years and years ago looked me in the eye and said, Kylie, do you have their best interest at heart? And I said, of course I do. And they, he, you know, and he challenged me. He said, do you really? And I was kind of getting frustrated. And I'm like, well, of course, I care about them. Of course I do. I don't want to hurt them. And he said, then you have to have the conversation because if you don't, they're going to continue to go down this path. It's either going to put them in a worse situation or they're going to waste precious time where they could be, you know, utilizing their talents, whatnot in a different way there. That person is probably stressed too. And it, Again, it wasn't anything extremely profound, but it's always stuck with me and I always tell leaders and it's always the first question, do you have their best interest at heart? Because if you do, you have to have the conversation. You have to. 
and it's going to be hard and it may be difficult. And even if it's a termination, if it's truly the right thing to do and you have their best interest at heart, you have to have that conversation. But you do it in a respectful manner and you approach it from the standpoint of, I care about this person. Every word that comes out of my mouth is because I care. And that changes the words that you say to them as well and, and the body language that you're using. But it just starts there. You have to have the conversation if you care. For the leader who's used to solving problems and there's a conflict between maybe two of the people in their team that needs to be addressed, that can be some of the worst things to do is to be the hero, solve a problem. What's your approach to working with that leader that says, okay, I've got two people with conflict. How would you approach that? Yeah, I always start with the same thing. Have they, have you set them up for success in communicating with one another? I often hear leaders say, well, they're adults. They should just talk to each other and figure it out. Well, yeah, they should, but they're not. And so the, we're all like, we're all like big kids, right? And so number one for that leader, sit down with them, help facilitate that conversation, be an example of what asking questions and open dialogue looks like. Don't put them in a room together by themselves. We've already established that's not going to work. So as the leader, can you sit down with them and help, help have that conversation? And they may walk out and everything's great. Conflict may continue. Well, then at least you've taken the step to help facilitate that for them. And you can and sort of address it differently at that point. But simply saying they're adults, they need to figure it out or, or whatnot. Wouldn't the world be awesome if we were all adults and could figure it out on our own? But we can't. And so really, again, being that coach, being that role model for those team members, because, again, you want them to succeed. They're on your team for a reason. And so if it's simple interpersonal conflict, let's help them. Let's shape them. Let's enable them to be better professionals. And maybe they'll help their team members in turn, but really leading by example in that regard. Yeah. And, and even though executives are thinking, well, it's going to take my time me sitting down and talking to the, t talking to them and, and asking questions, getting them to talk and be able to walk away and let them work it out, even though it's going to take my time and it seems non-productive, but it's actually counterproductive not to do anything about it. Yeah. It's, it's really powerful when people find their sweet spot in an organization. And by sweet spot, I don't necessarily mean, you know, that they're the rock star and accomplishing everything because who knows what kind of stress that carries too. But when you go to an organization and that people care and that there's genuine connection, it's, it's really powerful for community, for families, for, for society in general, when folks are elevated to a new level and organizations who need to get to that sort of culture, again, there's a lot of blind spots. It's hard. You're fighting habit. You're fighting relation. You're fighting it all. And so just having external support to, again, not tell you what to do. A lot of times you have the experts. It's just helping keep you on track so that you can focus on what you're great at because we're all pulled in a million directions. So having that eyes and ears for you is so beneficial in creating sustainable change. And something we, we talked about the last time, when we do this well, the impact is far beyond the walls of our business. 
you know, family, you know, people go home and they have better relationships with their families because of what they've learned, because of what they've experienced. And then they have better relationships with their neighbors and in the community. So I think that impact is something much greater than within our walls and something we need to know that we can have. Kylie, thank you for this conversation today. This has been great. Absolutely.